Hello and welcome to The Green Hornet from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. The Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. His faithful Filipino valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with racketeers and saboteurs, risking his life that criminals and enemy spies will feel the weight of the law by the sting of the Green Hornet. Ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure, A Lady in Distress. The Green Hornet strikes again. Before our story, here's an important message. Asking for the ceiling price keeps you, the buyer, conscious that these prices are vitally important. They keep the cost of living from skyrocketing. They protect lower-income families who cannot afford to pay high prices for food. Because you're eager to prevent rising prices, because you want no one to suffer, make and keep this home front pledge. I will pay my ration points in full, and I will pay no more than ceiling prices. Look for the OPA official price list in the store. If you would like to have a copy of this list, get in touch with your local war price and rationing board. They will be glad to send one to you. And remember, pay no more than ceiling prices so that food can continue to fight for freedom. And now, the Green Hornet. In a small, shabbily furnished room in a section of town that had seen better days, three men sat talking, two of them tilting their chairs against the wall, while the other had a number of government checks spread out on the table in front of him. You two got to start wearing out shoe leather tomorrow to cash these things. That's the only part of this deal I don't like. What if somebody should spot us or something? Maybe we'll be... Maybe nothing. You like the easy money you get this way, don't you? Yeah, I know, but Besides, the... storekeepers are suckers for this stuff. All you gotta do is hand them a check from the United States government and they practically fall on their faces cashing it for you. Fingers here is the best pen pusher in the business. Well, I seen one of them bogus letters he wrote once. On that real crinkly paper. Supposed to be a letter Abe Lincoln wrote, wasn't it, Fingers? I'm telling you, Lincoln couldn't have done a better job himself. Something that paid Fingers real good for it, too. All right, Joe, button it. I was only trying to point out, Fingers, that Moses is lucky to be working with you and me. We know the ropes. And this racket is strictly small potatoes with us. Of course, with the three of us with working it. the three it, of us working it, we collect more. Here, Joe. Uh, okay. Mose, yeah. you work on these. Now, you know what to do. 
different parts of town, see? We'll meet here tomorrow afternoon. Okay. What are you going to do? I'm collecting more checks. They stay in this town another week. Then hit off for another spot. Sure, sure, Fingers. Anything you say. The next morning was cool and pleasant. A relief after the heat that had held the city in its grip so oppressively all week. Michael Aloysius Axford, reporter on the Daily Sentinel, stepped from the foyer of an apartment house. Morning, Mr. Axford. Beautiful day. Ah, good morning, Henry. A beautiful day, you say? Ah, with the heat what it is, a man can't... Why, it ain't bad today at all, at all. Just what I was saying. Yes, it's a beautiful day. A cool breeze swept along the street, and Axford stopped momentarily, a grin creasing his good-natured Irish face, tipping the straw hat, which was his concession to the summer months, at what he fancied to be a jaunty angle, he resumed his walk. Ah, makes a man feel human again, that it does. I think I'll just walk up a few blocks to get the bus. Always so crowded when it gets to this stop, and people stepping on me corns and everything. Ah, it's a day sent from heaven itself. Enjoying the change in weather, Axford walked farther than he realized. When his curiosity was aroused by the man and woman who stood talking loudly in the open doorway of an old and obviously second-rate apartment house. At first, Axford thought it was just another domestic argument. And he shook his head, thinking to himself it was a kindly fate that spared him the thousand small annoyances of always having to account to some woman. But I tell you, it will be paid. I'm not trying to do you out of the money, you really. You've had me the same story for the last three weeks. I'm not waiting for the rent any longer. There's another tenant all right to move into the apartment. And you, Mrs. O'Toole, will have to find something else. But you can't do this. Why, I have two children. Where will we go? That's your worry, not mine. You ain't out of here by tomorrow morning. I'm locking you out. That's final. But it's only because the check's been delayed, Mr. Kramer. I'll pay you just as soon as I get I'm it. I'm putting you out for non-payment of rent. But you've got no right. No right. Listen, I got a right to put anybody out that don't pay their rent. You ain't paid your rent, so you get out. Hey, mister. I don't know who you are, but you can't talk to a lady like that. Oh, I happen to overhear your conversation, ma'am. Me name's Axford, Mike Axford. You say that you have a check coming to you. Yes, that's right. Ah, and uh, your husband's in the army, I take it. Yes, he, he's a sergeant in the infantry. A sergeant? No, well, ain't that grand. Say, listen, you, I'm, I don't know why you're butting in, but you can mind your own business, see? I'm within my rights. Within your rights, is it? What right is there to put in the wife of a soldier out in the street with two kids and all to take care of? I ain't running no charity institution. Let her look out for her kids. All I know is she's two months behind in a rent so she can get out. And uh, what's your name? Kramer, if it's anything to Well, it. Mr. Kramer, I'm a reporter on the Daily Sentinel. And I'm telling you right now, you'll get plenty of publicity if you do this thing. Publicity that won't do you much good. Our publicity don't hurt anybody that's within his rights, and I am. So you can put in your paper anything you want. The only language that means anything to me is money. Now, if you get the cash, Mrs. O'Toole... No, I don't have it now, Then you I... can get out. And remember what I said. By tomorrow morning. Oh, all the mean low-down <laughs> chicken heart <laughs> you. Hey, no, hey. Uh, no, no, no. I'm sorry, Mr. Axford, only... I don't know what I'm going to do. I wouldn't care if it were only myself, but 
But the children... Look, look now. There's no need to be so upset, Mrs... Uh... O'Toole. Mrs. O'Toole. You know, there's the Red Cross. They'll help you out, and there might be... Say, you come with me. We'll go down to the Sentinel building. I'll get the story from you, and we'll put it in the paper. And you can talk to Britt Reed, and he'll get quick action from the Red Cross for you. Don't you worry now. Everything's going to be all right. I'll get it fixed up for your me name is not Michael Axford. Mrs. O'Toole went with Axford to the Sentinel building, where Britt Reed, young publisher of the Daily Sentinel, listened to her story sympathetically. Then, with the air of a gallant Sir Walter Raleigh helping a lady in distress, Axford took the young woman to Red Cross headquarters. They'd been gone a short time when Britt Reed stood talking to Miss Case. You know, Mr. Reed, Axford's really priceless. Yes, he has a heart bigger than he is. He certainly acted as if he'd go out to slay dragons if that would help Mrs. O'Toole. Though I suspect the thought of anyone named O'Toole in trouble would spur him to action, as one Irishman to another. That young woman's carrying quite a load on her shoulders. Yes, she's terribly worried. The Red Cross will let her have the money, and then she can pay them when she receives the check, if she does receive it. What? What do you mean, Mr. Reed? It may be that the check was delayed in the mail, but there have been several cases lately where the allotment checks have been stolen. Stolen? Who in the world would steal money from the families of soldiers? A thief usually doesn't stop to think twice about the circumstances of people from whom he steals. But the checks are small, aren't they? And then there'd be the problem of cashing them. Some of the checks are as for high as $500. Collecting a couple of those and some small ones thrown in would total up to quite a nice sum. I never thought of that. As far as cashing them goes, it'd be a comparatively simple matter to forge a signature on a check and then endorse it. Supply identification and cash it. Most storekeepers have a great deal of faith in anything with Uncle Sam's name on it. They cash it very willingly. I can't imagine anyone who'd steal them, though. It's such a despicable thing to do. Yes, it is. The FBI always catches up with the thieves, but sometimes it requires months to do it. They... Oh, well. <laughs> How's the night errant? Uh, what's that you say about night, Reed? Oh, me killing me. No, don't put them on my desk. Oh, there you go again, Casey. A man can't even come in out of the blistering hot sun to collect himself in, in comfort without you starting to yell. Casey, you'll never get yourself a husband if you don't cultivate... Cultivate... Well, uh, get over your griping. Oh, is that so now? Oh, take that poor little Mrs. O'Toole, for instance. That sergeant of hers is mighty lucky to have such a plucky wife. What happened to the Red Cross, actually? They're lending her the money to cover the rent, Reed. And she'll pay it back when her check comes in. Yes, and I'd like to have the pleasure of punching that Kramer's ugly face in when she hands it to him, too. But, you know, I was thinking... No. Not that I want to say anything to the poor woman about it. But, Reed, what if them allotment sharks have stolen the check? It's possible, Axford. That's why I suggested she send a letter immediately to the Treasury Department. Give Gunnigan the rest of the details on the story about the Red Cross coming through. It'll keep the public mindful of the good work that organization does. Aye, that I will read. Uh, I, uh, well, I, I thought, uh, read that I'd just stop on me way home and pick up a few toys for the Atul kids and take them over. It won't do no harm. 
You know what I mean. Just a couple of things, blocks and stuff uh, that kids play with. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. I I'll, I'll see you at the apartment for dinner then. Please. Fine. Well, so long, Casey. And mind what I told you about getting a husband. Why, you... Now, now, don't be getting your dander up, Casey, me girl. Or maybe it is that you're waiting for me to pop the question, huh? Oh, oh, I'm going. <laughs> Can you beat it? Toys for the Atul children. Oh, what a guy. Later that night, Axford started out on foot for the O'Toole apartment. Packaged toys were piled awkwardly in his arms, and his pockets bulged with loose blocks and other small unwrapped playthings. With his hat slipping over one ear and beads of perspiration clinging to his forehead like a wreath of mistletoe, he finally, and with a sigh of relief, paused in front of the O'Toole apartment house. For a moment, he stood peering through the open door into the darkened hallway. Then he started to enter. Ah, this is the place, all right. Thank goodness. Now to find... Glory be! His eyes widened at what he saw. The flare of a match. And a man working at one of the mailboxes with a slim instrument. As Axford watched... The man at the box lifted out a long brown envelope. Realizing their purpose, Axford rushed forward, scattering toy blocks from his pockets about the hallway as he ran. So, stealing allotment checks from women and kids, eh? What the... I saw you, you dirty sneaking thief. I... You ain't gonna do nothing, fat boy. You... Oh, you... Oh, I gotta get out of here. Oh, oh. oh me head, no. He's getting away. He's getting away. Why, that's all Hey, taxi! Taxi! Come on, you dumb... That taxi, mister? Oh, what do you think I'm yelling for, a horse? Now follow that there cab, turn the corner, and don't be wasting any time about it, neither. We'll continue our Green Hornet adventure in just a moment. There are two things you can do for your fighting men overseas. The first thing is to write them regularly, a letter a day. The second thing is to send those letters by V-mail. Letters are life to men on the battlefront, and V-mail letters always get through. What's more, they get through faster because V-mail goes by air. It has priority over all other types of personal mail. You're assured of prompt, dependable delivery when you write V-Mail. And when you use V-Mail, you save precious cargo space, which can be used for the tons of equipment that must be delivered to Allied battlefields. So start writing V-Mail right away, and address your letters completely and correctly to avoid delay in delivery. Use V-Mail from now until victory. Now, back to our story. <laughs> At his apartment, Britt Reed glanced from the evening edition of the Sentinel to his wristwatch as Cato, his faithful Filipino valet, and the only person to know the young publisher's identity as the notorious Green Hornet, walked into the room. You expect he comes soon now, Mr. Britt? I don't know, Cato. Expecting him before this. <laughs> he doesn't like Axford to be late for dinner. 
He took some toys over to the O'Toole children. Maybe, maybe he's been delayed explaining how to play with them. Oh, I read story about Soldier's wife. Good thing Red Cross helped her out. Yes, it is. They've been of assistance in many similar cases, I understand. Oh, I think we'll give Axford another half hour of grace. If he isn't here by then, he'll call, I'm sure. The half hour grew into 45 minutes, and Reed, becoming uneasy, reached for a telephone directory. No telephone listed for an O'Toole on 2nd Street. You think something happened to him, Mr. Bree? He'd have called if he'd known he'd be late. He did say something about wanting to punch that landlord. Hmm. There's a hunch that whatever it is, Axford's bitten off more than he can chew. I think I'll go over there, Cato. If I find him on his hands and knees playing with blocks or something, I'm going to feel mighty foolish. But if he never got as far as O'Toole's, we'll really have something to worry about. Britt Reed walked from his car, where Cato waited for him, into the hallway of the apartment house. Once inside, he ran his fingers along the wall to his right to locate the light switch. Somebody could break their neck coming down those steps without any light. Oh, there it is. Got to find Mrs. O'Toole. Wait a minute. Axford has been here. Over in the corner, blocks scattered around. And his hat. Something happened. And whatever it was, it wasn't good. You say somebody left those toys in your cab? Sure, that's what I said, mister. Fellow left in the cab sure don't throw his money away on tips. But I figured it was kids' toys, so I'd bring them back to where I picked them up from. Eh, it's a slow night anyway. But now, now I ain't so sure. This must be a nut house or something. Did the man you picked up in your cab have a hat on? No. No, come to think of it, he didn't. No, he was in an awful hurry, too. I left him off at 1012 Water Street. That's where the other cab stopped. Never mind, driver. Here, take this for your trouble. Huh? Oh, uh, thanks, thanks, mister. Hey, you want a cab? No, no, thanks. This is my car. You ready, Mr. Britt? Yes, Kato. This is sure some buggy. Hey, before you leave, mister, I'd like to ask you a question. Yes, what is it? I'm in a hurry, if you don't mind. I'd like to know what you was doing picking up them blocks. I built houses with them. All right, Kato. Driver asked many questions, Mr. Britton. Yes, but he gave me quite a bit of information for all his questions, Kato. We've got a job to do tonight. First, we'll go back to the apartment. Then the Green Hornet will pay a visit to 1012 Water Street. What do you find in hallway? Enough to lead me to believe that Axford might be in serious trouble. Before the night's over, it may take the Green Hornet to get him out of it. To the two policemen cruising around in the squad car, it was just a routine night, heavy with a warm sluggishness that settled unmercifully on the houses closely crowded together and the narrow, half-illuminated streets in the poorer section of town. Seems kind of quiet tonight, don't it? Sure, anybody that's got any sense would be sitting with a fan beside them and something nice and cold to drink instead of being out in this heat. 
Nobody would be cooking up any mischief in this kind of weather. I wouldn't mind being on my own back porch right now. If there's a breeze going, Donovan, we get it there. I'm telling you... Hey, that guy's in a hurry. In a hurry? Donovan, did you get a good look at the car? No mischief doing tonight, huh? Get headquarters on the phone. We're trailing that guy. What are you so excited about? We'll nail him for speed and give him a ticket. Give him a ticket? That guy will get a ticket, all right, to be strictly one way. I'll eat my hat if that ain't the green-hearted himself and possible. When his cab had stopped in front of the dingy frame building that was 1012 Water Street, Axford had looked dubiously up and down the deserted street. Then he tiptoed awkwardly into the dark, dusty hallway, lined with doors that all looked alike. The man he was following had disappeared into one of these. But which one? A sliver of light appeared beneath one of the doors, and the conversation coming from behind it guided the reporter. His own breath sounded like thunder in his ears. Surely he'd be discovered. But the thought of Mrs. O'Toole and hundreds of women like her who'd been victims of unscrupulous thieves gave the Irishman the courage to stand firm. At least until he could eavesdrop on the conversation long enough to prove his suspicions. He moved nearer to the door. Axford turned to leave the hallway. I'd get to a telephone, phone Burke to bring the squad car down here. So, so, oh, it's the dust in here. Oh, all the crawl of all the times to, to, achoo! What was that? Hey! Oh, no, you don't. Maybe this will show you me mean business. Now, wait a minute. Now, put down that gun. I punched in the nose that I was telling you about, Fingers. Oh, Punch yeah? Punched me in the nose. You sure did, you Come miserable... Come on, get into that room. Who do you think you're talking to? I said move. All right, all right. What are we going to do with him, Fingers? You two get your stuff together. I'll keep my eye on him. Now, you there, sit down. While the boys do a little packing, you're going to tell me just how much you know and who you are. Decided what you're going to do with this guy? Who is he, anyway? <laughs> a reporter. Aye, that I am. And the story I write about the three of you dirty low-down sneaks ain't going to be any nursery rhyme, neither. What makes you think you'll ever write any more stories? Is that right, Fingers? I'm surprised anybody as dumb as you are to have sense enough to know that. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have to get rid of this bird. Yeah. Wait a minute. What was that? What was what, Mr. Newspaper Man? I could have sworn I saw something. Someone at that window. Ah, like... couldn't you think up something newer in that gag? So, all the time I thought I was dealing with some two-bit crooks that decided to steal from soldiers' wives and kids. I didn't know that you was mixed up with the Green Hornet. Ah, he's getting too noisy, Joe. Go on. Sure, Fingers. Oh. Uh, you must have scared him, Fingers. He sure went to pieces after you said you was going to get rid of him. Talking about the Green Hornet. Yeah, seeing things. Come on, Fingers. Let's get out of here. We got to get... Go fast, Mark. Hey. The window fingers. Never mind that gun, you. Hey, the, the hornet. Hey, the, the, that reporter, he wasn't seeing things. 
What did the Green Hornet want here? Mister, you you made a mistake. Yeah, maybe I did. Then again, maybe I didn't. Now listen, Hornet. We all heard about you, see, but what do you got against us? Who said I had anything against you? I want to know how much you've got out of this racket of yours. Don't tell him, Fingers. Don't tell him nothing. Shut up, Mug. When I ask questions, I get answers. How much have you got out of it? Well, you cleared about 5000 in this town. How much? All right, 6500 And you plan to clean up the next town you had. That's an easy racket. But I still don't get where... Ah, so that's it. Yeah, that's it exactly. Nothing goes on in this town that I don't know about, and nothing goes on that I don't get my rake off. You fellas are planning to leave, huh? You're not leaving till I get my cut. Your cut? And to my way of figuring, it comes to two grand. You ain't gonna pay him, are you, Fingers? Fingers is smart. You know the ropes, don't you, Fingers? How many times have you done a stretch for forgery? How much time do you think you'll do for this? All right, all right. Get the cash, Joe. Sure. I'll hand it to you, Hornet. But the next time we meet, I'm going to be holding the aces. Now, here. Two grand. Now, beat it. Not so fast. Fingers, do you hear that? Cops, what are we going to do? You think they're coming here? I don't know, but we're not taking any chances. Get the stuff and get out the back way. You're not leaving here, Fingers? Are you crazy? Put that gun away. Not till I've used it. Take that. (laughs) Wait a minute, Hornet. I I, I don't know what you're up to, but but I'll spring along with you. No. You two don't? No. Gas? No. No, don't. Now to see. I've got to get out of here. Lots of checks. Evidently, there were plenty to cash these. I'll leave them scattered around. Axford. He'll be all right. Oh, I'll be in any second. I can't get out the window. With a car in the alley, I'll never make it. I'll get in back of the door when they come in. It's an old gag, but it's got to work. Axford. What in saints' name is he doing here? Say, Sergeant, looks like he's out cold. Wait till I find hey, the lights. Who switched the lights off? Cassidy. Cassidy, you fool. Get the light switch. I'm trying to find it, Sergeant. Oh, my foot. The devil take your foot. Get that light. I found it myself. There now. Who's slammed that door? Axford. What's going on in here? Where's the hornet Cassidy was talking about? Cassidy. That must have been the hornet. The hornet. What are you... Oh, it's you, Sarge. Oh, me head, me head. The hornet, St. Patrick be praised. It was his mask. I seen it at the window. He's here, Sarge. I tell you, he's here. Yeah, sure, he was here. But there he goes now. Slip through your fingers. If you wasn't an Irish in the park, I'd tell you what I think of you. He was in cahoots with these three. These are the ones that have been stealing allotment checks from mailboxes. See? Here. Here they are. And here's some cash, too. Checks and cash. And here's a check with Mrs. O'Toole's name on it. The three of them are stretched out cold, all right, with the sign of the hornet on them. What he was doing fooling around with small fry like this, I'll never know. Me neither, for that matter. But there's nothing too low for that spalpeen to stoop to. In cahoots with a gang that steals allotment checks. Like as not, he heard you fellas coming and decided to get while the getting was good. Ha, <laughs> ha, nothing. We almost had him that time, Sarge. A miss is as good as a mile, Axford, with that slippery devil. To think we were so near getting him. Cheer up, Sarge. You've got the three here, and I've got a story that'll sure make the headlines tomorrow.
government requests that all Christmas gifts be mailed before December 1st. With more than 50,000 experienced postal employees in the armed forces and the shortage of manpower more acute than ever before, the Postal Service will be forced to rely on young, inexperienced help. These substitute workers will not be able to handle the volume of mail that will flood the post offices if everyone waits until the last minute to mail his gift boxes and packages. And please mail only the smallest of packages. Transportation space is at a premium. War bonds and stamps, presents with a future, make excellent gifts. So please remember, mail early, before December 1st. And again, mail only the smallest of packages. Be sure to listen to The Green Hornet next week at this same time. These copyrighted dramas originate in the studios of WXYZ Detroit. All characters, names, places, and incidents are fictitious. Bob Height speaking. This is the Blue Network.